We are twin brothers who grew up Atari, or as we call it, in the vertical blank. Technically, the vertical blank is the space between the last line of the current frame and the first line of the next, where off-screen calculations create a cathode ray tube display. It exists, literally, between the lines, invisible, yet all-seeing, in a void where magic occurs that is never seen, only experienced. It is the figurative location of our existential longing for the past and attempts to bridge it to the present and the future. The vertical blank is an omniscient force containing the nuances that make our nostalgia a reality. It's the transcendental location that holds our best memories, biggest joys, greatest fears, and our most terrible losses. You've been warned. You can stop this tape now and turn around. For once you've entered, there may be no escape. All the scan lines have been written. It's time to enter the vertical blank. Welcome to Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Atari. Season 1 Episode 8, The Bronze Age. Into the Vertical Blank. Select. Watching. Reading. Playing. Start. Okay, Steve, what are you watching? What are you playing? What are you reading? Okay. I just finished watching on Amazon Jack Ryan, which I thought was pretty good. I finished that also. I liked it. Uh, I am currently watching one episode left of Forever on Amazon, which is with Fred Armisen. I haven't done and, that uh, yet. That's actually a pretty good show. I would, I would, I can't tell you anything about it. You have to watch it. You, you can't be spoiled. And then I just watched a documentary about the Police, the band on Amazon. It was a a, a from a autobiography from Andy Summers, the oh, guitarist cool. Police. It's actually really good. And even I read a review online that was like, if you're not a huge Police fan, you won't care about this movie. I'm not a huge Police fan, and I loved it. I thought the movie was fantastic. So okay, I'm gonna take a look. So at that. I like. I thought it was really good. So that's watching. What are you watching? Well, let's see. We Jeannie and I usually watch a bunch of stuff together. We finished the first season of The Sinner, not expecting anything good, is on USA. It was fantastic. Was it really? So second season we've been watching, and it's pretty good. And there's, I think there's only one or two episodes left. We have one on the DVR, another one might have showed up yesterday. So that was that's pretty good. So I've been watching a lot of, what well, I watched a lot explained on Netflix. Justin actually, he actually watches them before I do. And then he'll tell me if they're good or not. <laughs> and then we're actually watching, Ryan and I are watching BoJack Horseman. Oh, cool. And we're about to start the final season. And other than that, you know, for me, the Lakers are starting up pretty soon. They have they have a good team this year. And um, so, what are you playing, Steve? Okay, playing right now two games that have me. Um, one has me completely addicted. Pac Man Two Fifty Six, right. which is by the same guys um, who did Crossy Road. They made Pac Man Two Fifty Six for Namco, and it's like a one life. Try to get as many points as you can, sort sort of thing randomly generated mazes with power-ups and stuff. It is super compelling. So my like high score right now is about 10,000 What points. platform is that was on? 
PS, but I also bought it for the PC because I couldn't be away from it for too long <laughs> when someone's on the on the TV. <laughs> I also I like I like if I'm gonna Twitch stream anything, it's gonna be me playing Pac-Man 256 because I I love that game. So that's really cool. And then I just bought Bard's Tale 4 from In Exile, Brian Fargo's new company. They made Bard's Tale 4, which is pretty good game has some weird bugs has this critical bug that i found where sometimes when you organize your inventory like everything disappears but they're updating it but it's a, it's a really good game from a like a mid-tier company steam? really well made yeah steam steam really well made they kickstarted i wasn't part of the kickstarter i just bought the game so if you like the bard's tale it's a pretty good update of the bard's tale with some really interesting you know what i like about it is that the conve- the role playing conventions are different than a lot of other things a lot of other games that's like what i'm playing that. Me, my playing, I'm playing nothing new. I'm really not playing anything old at all. I did, I just, what happened was I, I broke out the Atari ST. Uh-huh. I didn't think it was going to work. I plugged in and there's no power. This is our 1040 ST? The 1040 ST we bought in 1988. Eight. Oh, summer of 88 from Federated, from Federated Group. Group. I plugged it in, there was no light. I got fresh air for a week. Then I decided I'd pull down the color monitor and just plug it in. Guess what? I put in a disc, plugged in the color monitor, and it booted up. Oh, And fantastic. I was able to play... Does the keyboard work? Yeah, well, I have all the keys. And the, and the, <laughs> <laughs> I have all the keys. They're not so, all on the keyboard, right? No, now. they're all on the keyboard, and, and the only one that doesn't work is the enter key on the number pad. The others all work. They're just not stuck on there, so I can use the space oh, bar okay. and stuff like that. I did buy another 1040 STFM so I can plug it into the TV. Oh, cool. Um... And uh, that's what one of the guys on the Antic Podcast. So you haven't been playing... So I played... So what I played was 1943 off one of the first discs uh, we ever I got. I remember that. 1943 was a good game. And that I, was like a and game I pack? Import yes, game pack? Yes, it was an imported game pack. Switchblade, Rick Dangerous. Switchblade is good. Um, uh, Anko Kickoff 2, which I, I, I played last night. The best way to play Anko Kickoff 2 is to set your team as... The international level and the computer's team at Division Four, <laughs> and then you set the speed at not the fastest but medium. Uh-huh. You can actually try and score. Oh, that's nice. And I know I used to be able to score without that. And then I also my favorite one at the moment though is Sidewinder, which is, is an arcade oh, I arcade that. one. It's got it's um it's got this weird scrolling side to side where like you when you hit the side then it jump scrolls the game. But uh-huh. it's 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 a, it's a horizontal shooter with a weird scrolling. It. It's fun. It's got great graphics and it's really fun. And I've got like through level one and and then I, I died on level two. So I'm trying to play those games. And I have just a, a box of about, I'd say I, I weeded out a hundred game discs of stuff that we purchased oh, okay. and or downloaded. Well, that could be stuff. fun to sit down sometime and play those games yeah. together. What are you? What are, what, are, what are you reading? Me reading. Give oh, me. I know you read like ten books at a time. So what? So one of the books you're reading. I have five books near my bed that I am into immensely. First one is Vintage Game Consoles by Bill Logan Dice. Where's there's no N in there? Okay, Log Logan Bill by Bill L. I said is the Vintage Computer Game Consoles, Vintage Game Consoles, the greatest gaming platforms of all time by Bill L and Matt B. Right. I also am reading Breaking Borders, the. A True Story of Digital Liberation and Power Without the Price is Atari ST Oh, wow. That's book. cool. It's, it's really about the de- how the demo scene created the best games. Right. And then I got the latest version, which is Beyond Borders, which goes into the 90s about what was going with the ST. Oh, wow. That's so cool. it's really cool. It's good to find these and go play the games. Hey, Jeff, who wrote those books? Marco A. Breden, he's from Germany, and they get translated 
from German. Both very good, very interesting books, and they're about the ST. And the other one I'm reading is uh, Easy Day Hikes of the South Bay in nice. LA, which is where we live. That's, what, so what are you reading? I'm reading Beautiful Boy by David Sheff, who wrote Game Over. Game Over. The, the, uh, one of the original video game books right. about Nintendo. He wrote a book about his son being addicted to crystal meth, and it's a movie coming out as right. well. Um, it's really good. Select. Programming. Start. So, Steve. Hey, Jeff. I thought we'd start a new segment this week called, What Are You Programming? What am I programming? This would be like, yeah, I mean, mostly about like retro stuff, but, but what are you doing? Okay, so work-wise. Work-wise, I, I work on e-commerce websites. That's what I do, and I can't even mention client names or anything like that. Um, but I'm working on an e-commerce website uh, right now in something called Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Oh, cool. Uh, what about retro-wise? Retro-wise, you- well, let's see. I started with an old, old Flash game of mine called Boids of Death, which oh, would yeah, be a game yeah. that I would try to put on. <coughs> I'm attempting to do this. I remember that was a little bit like Demon Attack, right? A little bit like Demon Attack. So I was starting over with, and, and it's a little Demon Attack, but it'll have more levels, and it'll have like, a, a, it'd be more like Phoenix. It may be a little, maybe you can gain extra weapons and stuff. So I want to start that on the 7800 with 700 basic because I probably don't need any more than 20 sprites and or copies that that I could use for that. I also want to do it in Stoss on the ST. Uh Uh-huh. And I want to figure out how to do it in DPC Plus on the Atari 2600. Here's what I think. Like, I think it's kind of fun to come up with a game and then build it for multiple platforms. Right. And I'd love to do it on the Atari 800. But I'm just not good enough programming Atari 800 right now. I looked at fast, basic games people have made. I looked at a couple games that people had made that are in action, and they look okay. But to do something on the 800, you really need to be like all the brand new tricks to make anything worth. Yeah, playing. I know, but I think you could probably do something. Yeah, um, but I get it. I mean, don't start there. You know, the I'm se- not going to start there. I've always felt I like... I started the 7800. I always felt like the 7800 is like the long-lost system anyway, so it'd be kind of fun to build something for the 7800. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind a, a, a stable of um, cartridges that I could make of good games, both the tw- 7800 and maybe the 2600 using... There's a DPC Plus version of a, the Atari Basic, but it may want to go straight to assembly. What is DPC Plus? I think that is using the the, oh, the Activision the, cartridge, Dave, and supposedly they have ten right now. They have as you got ten David multicolored Crane or something. David, sub, David Crane Plus, right? Right. It's um supposedly you could have ten multicolored sprites on the screen at any one time. This is on a new a, kernel twenty six hundred on twenty six hundred. So I haven't seen it or used it, but that's how a lot of the new games are being made. If you look at uh, is it Mappy? I think it's Mappy that's coming out. Somebody just put something out. It's just to, to show, and it looks incredible. It looks like, it looks like an NES game. How much memory do they have in these cartridges? 32, that's 32K. Oh, so the 32K, they use the DCP+, Plus, which is like DCP, which is David Crane. Yeah, it's something. David Crane. I, 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 I'm sure Arata can tell DPC. us what, what it is. DPC. DPC? That's so, not David Crane. That's well, David. David P. Crane. I don't know. David I'll look P. it up. Crane. We'll look it up. Look it doesn't matter. Arata didn't look it up. So. DPC stands for David Patrick Crane. He developed this special chip for use in Pitfall 2 for the Atari 2600. It added audio features to the VCS. DPC Plus is something the Atari Basic team created. It replicates the DPC chip with an ARM processor emulation and adds extra features. So I am... What are you 
programming. Uh, well, work-wise, working on the Google Cloud, computer vision in the Google Cloud, which is really interesting stuff. So the machine learning, which, which to me is fascinating. In um, retro-wise, I haven't, been, I haven't programmed really seriously in a long time, and I want to get something started. Yeah. And I, I've been going back and forth between Unity and and you're going back to Flash, which is a crutch. I think I want to try 7800 Basic as well, which I have downloaded. I've done a couple little tests with it. Um, I have a few like game ideas I'd like to test out there to see how they would yeah. work. None of it is like none of it's going to be earth shattering. They're more like the, the ideas I have are more um, game designs that they're not like fast action. So I'm not going to like replicate like our type on the 7800 it's going to be more like trying to create some sort of fun interesting contest the type of games we used to do in flash which i have like 60 unfinished games yeah, in flash I that like I, i'd like to i'd like to at least explore what those what some of those might work on the 7800 so that's from right now hey jeff it's october we talked in the last segment about the new stuff we were doing we actually recorded that a couple weeks ago. I don't know if any of it has changed, which is sad. <laughs> so, but we had talked about doing a Halloween episode, but I think the problem with us having a Halloween episode is that we can never plan what our episodes are about. Yeah, that is, I think you're right about that. I didn't play enough scary games for me to really have a Halloween episode. No, I mean, we never really got into scary, there is one scary game, but when we talk about the Atari ST, uh, we can talk about that. Some game named Hound of Shadow that actually um, had, was kind of creepy, but you know what? We've got next year, too. Let's let's talk about something that I find really interesting, is Atari is going to release a new version of Flashback Classics for the PS4 and Xbox. It actually was announced for, like, the spring. It was supposed to come out in April and never did. But the cool thing about this version of Flashback Classics, which came out on two volumes, Volume 1 and Volume 2 for the Xbox and for the PlayStation, and is the was the, that was the, it was the version of Atari Vault um, that came out for the PC... And there's a version for the Switch that comes out soon that has that combines all three Flashback Classics 1, 2, and 3 into a 150-game collection. What's interesting about Atari Flashbacks Volume 3 is they're doing something that, that I've been writing about and talking about for many years, even though this stuff is now, whatever I read about is gone. Um, they're actually digging out some of their really old arcade games that came out in the 70s before Space Invaders, before Asteroids, before in the in what I guess would be the Bronze Age of Atari, any games between like 71 and 78 that were, you know, in the time when people didn't really know what was going to be successful after Pong, but before Space Invaders, before the golden age of the arcade. There's a bunch of games on that collection that are from that time, and they are as follows. You want to well, read? Let's, read? Say, let's put one caveat there. The Switch gets a version. It adds some Atari 5200 games. There's 5200 games, but I'm interested yes. in in this episode, um, what we're I guess we're going to call the Bronze Age of the Arcade, mostly because I wrote a story about the Bronze Age of the Arcade um, that comes at the end of this. But it's uh, it, it, the games that are on this collection: Atari Baseball, Atari Basketball, Atari Football, and Atari Soccer. Like this, I'm going to start with those because. Those are all arcade games. I think they started with football. 
I may be wrong, but they all use the trackball. That's the X's and O's football. The X's and O's football. Awesome, awesome, awesome game. How do you replicate that? X's and and if you look at baseball and basketball, basketball is sort of a two-person basketball. Looks like the twenty-six hundred basketball. These are all really cool games. I don't know how they're going to replicate on the system, but they were really fun for the time, especially X's and O's. Football. football. I, th- I don't know if it's ever called. I, I think we called it X's we and O's football. We called it football. X's and O's football. And, and um, there, I was always jealous because there was a version of X's and O's football for the IBM PC, and there, and we never had one for the Atari 800. Not that I could find that Atari made, and Atari didn't make the X's and O's one. But it was a really fun game. But you could, of course, on a PC, you couldn't use the trackball to go really fast. What I I love about this era after Pong, but before Space Invaders, or before Asteroids, I guess, um, before the space games really took over, is how creative people had to be in the arcade to make interesting stuff, right? I mean, this is is sort of the equivalent of, like, the, the early era of PC games, computer games, or the early era of Flash games, or even the early era of mobile games, where where all like all bets were you could basically you make and try to make something that somebody wanted to play and you didn't know what they wanted to play. Yeah, and it's also the early era of the 2600 like nobody knew what was going to be popular or, or what was going to work so basically people did whatever and so besides the sports games on this collection which I can't wait to play because I think a, a lot of these games are on the Atari Flashback Classics 3 on the Switch version of Atari Flashback Classics and who knows if it's going to come out for, for Atari Vault these all have online multiplayer so there's a chance that you can, we can actually play these games together you know apart but together um, online awesome. which would be really neat so Avalanche is on this collection which is really a version of Kaboom which well, really, Kaboom is a version sorry, of Avalanche. Kaboom is a version of Avalanche. But it's a cool early game. Canyon Bomber, which is you know came out for the 2600, is on this collection. Destroyer, which is, I believe, one of the games that was on Air Sea Battle. That and, I believe, Jet Fighter are the two. Oh, no, Jet Fighter is one of the games on combat. Yes. Uh, Dominoes, which is like Surround, is on here. That's the one that's like Surround. Um, right. Fire Truck and Smokey Joe, which is awesome. We'll get to that later, but that I, quite possibly was one of my favorite multiplayer games sitting out together um, playing. Maze Invaders, which I I don't think ever came out. I think as a prototype, is on here from like 1980. Monte Carlo, which is a scrolling arcade game, a scrolling driving game, which is actually really cool. Pull Shark, which is what you think it is, and Superbug, which is another scrolling arcade game. I actually um, love Superbug. I know Superbug. I have that Flash version that I made. I also have something that I downloaded when I was making that. Somebody, I think Marty had a copy of it, but it was a... Someone had made a PC emulation of just that game. Just because it was bug? Because they were... I think... I don't think... They, I think it might have been before microchips. I don't know. It's not... I think it has a microprocessor, but... But it's but, a special one. But it wasn't... It wasn't... Still wasn't emulated by MAME at the it's time. It's not... Yeah, now it is, I think, but... Um, um, a lot of these are. So, I, I just think it's great that Atari finally is going back and looking at some of the stuff that's not the classic games. I think they found stuff that they had not sold in their big liquidation, and now this yeah. is what they have. Right? I think what frustrates me a little bit about those collections is when you look at those arcade collections for Atari, it's usually the the usual suspects, the Asteroids, the Asteroids Deluxe. You don't get a lot of this these games that were really interesting in that, that Bronze Age. The other thing that kind of frustrates me is 
when those collections come out, Atari licensed a ton of games that they put out under the Atari name, and for a long time, we didn't know of them as any other from any other console, any right, other so company. So Dig Dug to me was an Atari game. Dig Dug, Pole Position, were Atari games, Xevious, yeah, or Xevious, whatever. Those that was there was our Namco games, but they came under the Atari banner here in the arcade. Same with something like Kangaroo. Which is an, I think, an IREM game. Uh, some, it's by someone else, but Kangaroo, which is also the next game for uh, Fer, that Ferg is doing for uh, oh, the we'll, game we'll by have game done. Pod, we'll have yeah, done by the game by game pod, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred or is it Atari VCS game by game pod, pod, podcast. He's doing Kangaroo, and Kangaroo was an awesome game, but you know, was not an Atari game. I wish when Atari put out those collections, they would salute both. You know, the games that they came out with, as well as the licensed games. It's like when you get the 2600 one and E.T. and Raiders of Lost Ark and Space Invaders, you know, are not on it. And those are super iconic games. Like, those are with the platform. Yeah. They're really I, important I mean, for the platform. Take Pac-Man and name it something else and put it on there. Yeah, I wish they would. Because it doesn't look like, Pac-Man, doesn't look like Pac-Man anyway. So here, what I wanted to do, because of this Atari Flashbacks Classics Volume 3 is coming out, I thought it might be fun to do our top ten... Bronze Age, pre-Asteroids, pre-Space Invaders arcade game. So this is like yes. post-Pong, pre-Space Invaders, in that era when we would go to the arcade, but it was before it really sort of caught our attention. But we went all the time. And so number 10 on our list is Video Pinball. Yes, Video Pinball. From Atari. Atari's Video Pinball. And this is actually a super interesting game. If you go and look at... Totally different than the 2600 version. Yeah. If you look at Video Pinball, it combines digital and physical at the same time. That's Video Pinball right there. So this is the Video Pinball. What the Video Pinball did is it's got black and white graphics, but they they created a very colorful background and they actually have some little physical pieces, so it it kind of looks like the bumpers really exist. It kind of looks like the, the little... Um, uh, pathways exist, but in a video pinball game, I'm not sure what they were trying to do. Again, it was like an experiment. Like, how do you make a video game that kind of looks like a pinball machine? It's, it's really cool. It's pretty, in fact, it's um one of those things where they could add new games to it, even though the background would look the same. You could add more targets and things because this one has very few like targets, but there are bumpers and and things you don't not noticing. That right. are part it of is, it's a really neat game. So anyway, that's number 10, Video Pinball. I remember playing that a lot at the Castle Park Arcade um, in Redona Beach. That was the, the place that I love. I love this game. Of course, all these games I love, but this is that's number 10 on our list. Video Pinball. All right, so number nine. Do you remember playing this game? Okay, so the ninth game. I want you to take a look at this game. I mean, what were they get, getting at when they made this game? Evil Knievel. Yeah, it's Stunt Cycle by Atari. Stunt Cycle from 1976. It's really an Evil Knievel-looking game. It's an Evil Knievel platform game. Yeah, so you, like, ride down three different platforms down the screen, trying to get enough speed to jump the buses at the bottom. I think what was so cool about this game was the controller, obviously, was awesome. It wasn't that easy to play, as I recall. So you had, like, handlebar control. You had handlebars. You had, like, a, a regular accelerator from a motorcycle, so you could you could turn it. That's right. It had the accelerate, acceleration handle, you know, or yeah, whatever you call it's it. It's pretty decent. Yeah, and you had to pull back on the handlebars to jump. jump. It was really cool. Did you pull back on the handlebars? Let's see. Yeah. This guy's playing it right here. No, he didn't pull back. He just got I think acceleration. He, he just accelerated. I think we played this. This was Old Town Mall or one of those. Um, I remember them having it e- even recently 
at the Fun Factory at Redondo Beach They Pier. did have it at the Fun Factory, which is gone now, unfortunately. So this is another black and white Atari game. We're trying to figure out what would work as an arcade game. It's kind of a fun game. I think the, the amount of buses goes up as you, as you succeed, um, I think. Let's see. It's come Death. totally... Three crashes and game. Atari nerd poetry. Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel. He fractured every bone for entertainment. He jumped buses, bounded high over fountains, and flew in rockets. We played on bikes and an Atari stunt cycle to be Knievel. He was our hero until he attacked someone with a baseball bat. Then he disappeared, but he never went away. Evil forever. Number eight on the list is a game that I remember. I don't know if you remember this game. They had only had a copy at Castle Park. It's called Speed Freak. And I want you to take take a look at it. If see if you remember this. Oh man. Speed Freak is a vector racing game. I thought this was for a long time I thought Night this was Night Driver. Not even. But close. this is not. This is a this is a vector, I think it's a cinematronics vector game. And the thing I remember about this game it looks like Night Driver because it's all black and white. And you're this driving, is awesome. Is is the cow on the side? There's a cow on the side of the road. And I, this is like <laughs> an early version of Hard Driving. Yeah, but, it is, but not as hard to drive. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's really well done. Look look how well you know the the um what the roadway the when you hit a car it explodes into other you know lots this of pieces. Is Speed Freaker from seventy. Oh, it's by a company called Vector Beam from nineteen seventy eight. It's a, still a timed game. The- um, like like the games were the same. Because a lot of the games here, you know, there are no extra lives. It, it's you could extend the play, but for the most part, it was all time, all like you know, run out of time. This this is not this is not by so this is my Atari. This, this is, is by Vector Beam. Yeah, this isn't going to show up on the um, on the flashback. But this game no, is awesome. It's not, but it's sad that like companies like this can't get their can't get their stuff. This is a really nice game. Okay. So the next one is an Atari game. 1978. Um, we played this at Shakey's Pizza over and over and over again. I don't know if you remember it, so take a look. It's called Sky Raider. Oh, crap. And you can tell, if you take a look at Sky Raider, so it's got a, what it is is sort of a 3D scrolling background where you're shooting, you've got like a bomber and you're shooting stuff down below. It really looks like the spiritual beginnings of River Raid. Well, you know, yeah, but yeah, this is River Raid. This is also the beginnings of um of Xevious. Like Xevious looks like this as well. I mean, it is again. It's but this is a three D overhead view of Xevious. Yeah, it's really kind of cool. And uh, I remember this is this being a pretty exciting game when we played it in the arcade. I don't know if anyone else played it. 
you know, you're flying, you're 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 bombing factories and stuff. They kind of have a weird angle because of the way the the way the it's um, like rolling, almost. the way it rolls and scrolls. I'm not exactly sure how they did it, but it, it if you look at the background, let's see if it repeats. It that. does. There's like a road that kind of repeats a little. Like you can see how so the you look road, at that part of the river there. It's a, oh, it's a river. I thought maybe a road, but you're so, right. It's a river, and it does so repeat. Like, what it looks like is the actual river repeats over and over again, but the graphics that are laid on top of it don't. So it looks like it scrolls forever. I think what it's really doing is just overlaying like things to bomb on top like of it. A, a really early, like well-made combination of Zaxxon, River Raid. Also, yeah. not in the but Zaxxon it's like it uses some tricks, but again, it's another timed game. But another, like, in the line of, like, how do we make something that people are going to want to play? Because it's different, you know? So the next game I'm on our sure list... I'm not sure how that didn't break it out. In the I don't know case. either, but it, but it obviously, you know, it didn't. The next one on our list, this is number six, I believe? Fire, Fire Truck. Part of the thing that um, that really fascinates me about the games in the arcade in this Bronze Age, which I'm calling it, well, probably, Irata will probably tell us what the actual name of it is, is... The, the fact that a lots of the games had very unique controllers, very unique right. cabinets. You know, the entire game was the game. At like now, it's kind of like arcade now with all the redemption machines. Like almost every game has a gun or some weird controller or something. It's almost like the arcade now has actually reverted back, back to the arcade to that now. time. Yeah. And so, sometimes I think like the the arcade that existed between 1978 and like 1983 or 84 was actually the anomaly. Right. The arcade as it exists now is just back then is really the way the arcade With is. Big machines to draw a crowd, yeah, right? Instead of it being like fighting games that um, not fighting games. Instead of being like games you individually got into into it. The cool thing about Fire Truck was that two people would play. One person would control the cab. One person would control the lat, the hook, hook and ladder at the back, and and drive. And it was really fun to try to drive. I don't know if there's ever a fire you could get to though. I don't know either, but and I think you always just drove to the fire. Anyway. You may have read in my Atari poetry. I actually wrote a haiku set about Fire Truck. So let's listen to that right now. All right, sorry about that. I mean, I. It- Atari Nerd Poetry The Fire Truck Coin Op. On black and white roads through sleepy suburbs we drive must get to the fire you sit and i stand grab your wheel and prepare to haul the house is burning time is running out swing the cab over right i will swing the ladder left we never make it the road is always too long the flames burn forever. That That's was awesome. just a on fire truck, but um, so fire truck also had a single player version. What was that called? Smoky Joe. It was called. So this came out in '78. The next game on our list was really, really fun. It came out in 1979, so it really is on the cusp here. But this is, we've talked about it before, you know, a little bit earlier. This is X's and O's football, or just Atari football. We called it X's and O's football. Use the trackballs to play 
What an amazing game this was. This was I remember this being really fun. Not being able to play it all that well, but but still, you use the trackball, and there was a way to pass too. You I could, mean, yeah. The trackball, it's like the faster you you rolled, the faster your guy would go. Like it, it really was. I think skill game mixed with if, a video game, if, right? Like if. If Space Invaders never came out, or Asteroids never came out, this would have been the future of video games, right here. This game sold really well, too. I think Atari made a whole division, in for, quotes, called Atari Sports. For bar games. Be, because of this game. Yeah. And they all use the trackball. And we talked about it, because they're all in that collection. The, the basketball, the baseball, the soccer are all in here. But I think they had this at the pizza parlor, one of the pizza parlors we would go, we would frequent. Yeah, early on. I early mean, on. Early on, right. And it was, exactly. this was a bar game. Like, this was almost a return to Pong, where you could have this game in a, next to a pool table in a bar. A lot of these other games are not really that way. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't, but it, they, they're more like, a, you know, for a, for, for, you know, an arcade establishment. But, this is like a foosball table, or a... This is like an electronic foosball table, right? Yeah. But it had a little bit more skill involved. It wasn't just all muscle and, and uh, timing. and But you had to be able to pass. Pa- you yeah. Could, you could pass. There was a pass button. The passes are interesting because they a do a weird... Yeah, I know. So you could pass the ball, and it will actually curve weirdly to oh, the yeah. receiver. So... So anyway, that's football. I, Atari football was another just, just... Again, like, you know, a lot of these games are sort of lost in history after the golden age, right? The golden age of the arcade. But you, they show an incredible amount of, of innovation and game design, and you kind of wish that people knew more about them. So the next game on our list is not a video game. It is a pinball machine, another one from Atari, another amazing game that you would that would only exist in the arcade. It was called Hercules. It was a huge 18 square foot, foot play field called Hercules, one of Atari's pinball machines. They made about five or six pinball machines. This machine used pool cue balls because instead of regular <laughs> pinballs because it was so big. And it wasn't really a good game of pinball at all. In fact, it, you know, the whole thing was that it was giant. It's just a magnificent sight. It's so 70s because it was like Atari really didn't have maybe the skill set to make pinball games to compete. So they're like, let's just make it bigger. bigger. Right, it's like, <laughs> make it bigger and have it look like a uh, one of Larry's from um, Three's Company's like outfits, like it does. It kind of has. It, it resembles. It resembles a, a '70s leisure, leisure suit. suit. Just yeah, the colors in, and everything in the the feel of it. So yeah, or um, a, you know, acid flashback or something. I mean, you take a but look. and the, I remember the action of this was just not good. Not they had two of these. Um, one next, both next to one another at the um, Fun Factory in Redondo Beach. This would be something the Fun Factory would have yeah, had. Yeah, they would have had. And so this also feels like one of these giant redemption games you would find today, but you would play one ball, and then however well you did, you get t- t- tickets, tickets instead of uh, how well you played. This is, yeah, it'd be really cool if people would bring back these machines for redemption <laughs> games. People I know. <laughs> but this takes up so much space. It I mean, does, what, what do you do with it? Yeah, I, I think Atari, it'd be interesting to see someone like Pinball Arcade or um, or Zen Pinball recreate all these Atari games. Um, so far, no Atari pinball machine has been recreated, recreated digitally, but they really should be. I think did Superman recreate digitally or not? No, I'm not sure. it's, there's a new super Superman, but not Atari's su- su- Superman. So, what's third on our list, Steve? Well, this is a game that I thought you would you would enjoy to talk about. I like this one. A lot. We played this one a lot all the time at in the basement of Sears. So our local Sears had a weird little arcade that had eight 
Castaway games that you'd never right. seen before. One of them was like, this. The cheapest game, like the guy who who had that video game route, he delivered the cheapest games possible to see. This was Cinematronics game with way too many buttons. So this is Cinematronics Space Wars. It was like the Space War, Steve Russell Space War game, or or kind of like Computer Space from Atari, but it was a vector game, and it you know one of the ships looks like from Asteroids, and there was a sun in the middle, well, and the other would, ship looks like what though. It looks like the Star Trek yes, exactly. Enterprise. Enterprise. And you would start a game, you'd basically shoot at each other. So a lot like Space War for the v- VCS as well. But we would sit and play this all the time. And it had this row of like 12 buttons that you could choose options for, like like gravity and, and whether the sun existed and stuff. And it was and it was 12 buttons that, that were from like a, a Selectric typewriter. Yeah, they were like weird typewriters. But but we played this all the time because we could play a two-player play, two game for one quarter. Right. And we'd shoot each other while Mom was like... Shopping for whatever she was shopping at, at a Sears, Sears. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is fun. Uh, but I love this, and this is an. I don't know if we played this before or after Asteroids came out. Bef- way before. Right. This was another. We had played the VCS, and we were fascinated with video games, but we really didn't know what was coming. I, I still remember this. I, I remember when I heard about Computer Space for a long time and the, the history of Atari. I thought this was that game. Me too. But it but it turns out it wasn't. We had played this in Matronics game, so. Number two on a list is one of the best arcade games ever made before, again, in the Golden Age or Bronze Age, sorry, the Bronze Age, which I call it, the arcade, and this is Breakout. The lore has this with lots of stories about Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and Breakout. For I, for one, have no idea which of the I, stories I is true or not, but I do know that Wozniak created this and then he wrote a break basic version a year later right. to run an integer basic. What I heard was too. that while Wozniak might have designed one with few, with a certain amount of chips, it was unmanufacturable the way it was, so they had to totally redesign it. But it's a good lore to say that Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs worked, worked Atari. That's cool, you know? Yeah. It's, it's good Silicon Valley lore. How, however this game was made, it is a great game. It is the precursor to Space Invaders. Space Invaders is sort of just like this game, except you're shooting guys coming down. You know, I remember playing this in the arcade and it was insanely difficult. Because you start out with a tiny paddle. Uh, a paddle that's the size of one of the bricks. Yeah, it was... Um, and it gets smaller. And it gets small. It gets like half the size when it goes Yeah, this was, a, this was a quarter eater for a, just another bar high score quarter eater, for sure. Yeah. And I don't actually remember playing this one in the arcade too much, except in the, our arcade, next to Avalanche, they had a breakout So, in, yeah, at Castle Park, right at the entrance, they had, uh, next to Avalanche, they had one of these cabinets. It was like, the let's put the old games there. Of course, at that time, it wasn't really that old. But. but along with Asteroids, this is one of those game mechanics that kept on being reproduced, you know, Arkanoid and all those other games yeah. like that. I mean, you, and, and also just playing Super Breakout. But, but Atari never repro- Atari never built on this. Atari did, right. I have this game called Crazy Bricks. It's a 7800 homebrew. And it's basically different brick layouts with no power-ups, which makes it a totally unique game oh, yeah. between, the, between the two. It, it kind of bridges the gap between Breakout Standard and then Arknoid and the games afterwards. 
So, are there any before we get to our number one slot, Jeff? Are there any other arcade games that you remember playing from this time? You know, pre I just remembered lots of electromechanical things too. There I love electromechanical those. games, especially like going to Disneyland and they would have some of the gun games. Some of the like I remember one with ghosts. I don't remember the name of it is, but Ghost Hunter or some, something. And an Atari had one called Quack. And gun games from the time I, were really interesting. I do remember we would play every once in a while. We would get in. We would not get it. We would we'd. Stand and play Indy 500 or Indy 800. Yeah, that almost made the list here. The Indy Indy 800 or um, yeah, the there um, was a the the Old Town Mall arcade had a spot for a large Atari game that swapped out, and their Grand Track was there. They had they had the eight player like it, it was um, Indy 800, it's which Indy I believe had eight right. eight players. That was there at the Old Town Mall. But speaking of the Old Town Mall, our number one game instead of describing it I wrote a whole story about it so let's just go to that let's go right to the now. story right now select story mode start Sharpshooter. Part 1. Infrared. A gun is never empty, my dad told me. He was looking straight at me. He was looking into my eyes. He had never done that before. That I could recall, anyway. A gun is always loaded, he repeated, changing the words slightly, but not the meaning. It was the mid-1970s. We were at the Old Town Mall, a turn-of-the-century themed indoor shopping and entertainment destination waiting in line to take a turn at the shooting gallery. We had about a half an hour to kill before our movie started at the Man 4 Cinemas. We went to the mall that day to see the movie Westworld, a sci-fi film about robots gone astray at a futuristic amusement park. A gun is always loaded, he repeated. I thought for a moment, and then I said, but, but, but in Adam-12, the guns stop firing after they've shot all the bullets. No, he said firmly. He rarely shouted. Instead, he emphasized particular words by greeting his teeth as he said them. You don't understand. A gun is never empty. A gun is always loaded. Do you understand me? I nodded my head. I turned and looked at my brother. He nodded his head, too. We pretended to understand. This is obviously a very important idea my dad was trying to impart on us. When we got to the front of the line, my dad took two quarters out of his pocket and placed them on the counter next to the shooting gallery rifle. He put one in the coin slot, and his gun sprang to life. He picked up the rifle, pointed it towards the targets, laid the stock on his shoulders, leaned his head over, closed one eye, and squinted the other so he could see clearly through the crosshairs. He aimed for the infrared target attached to a beer can at the side of the gallery. He squeezed the trigger. From somewhere under the counter, a speaker reported the sound of a rifle shot. The can reacted immediately, jumping up three feet in the air on a wire track. 
My dad's success did not change the serious expression on his face. If this was a real gun, he said, my arm would have been thrown back by the force of the shot. It's called recoil. My brother and I looked directly at him, as if he was imparting the most important information in the world. In a movie, you can tell if an actor has ever fired a real gun or not by how he moves when he takes a shot. If there is no recoil, he's a phony. My dad did not like things that were phony. He pointed them out to us at regular intervals. He was an actor, or at least he was an actor. He studied method acting, someone named Paul Mann in New York, and he felt he was an expert on actors acting genuine in movies. He appeared in several episodes of TV shows in the 50s, but when the jobs dried up, he went to work as a draftsman for an aerospace company near Los Angeles. The California dream deferred. My dad took the rest of his shots. He hit almost all, if not all, his targets. When he was finished, he put another quarter in the coin slot and handed the gun to me. It was my turn. My father felt it was his duty to teach me to shoot guns. Even though we lived in the heart of suburbia, he was certain that the skill of handling and firing a gun was one of the most important skills he could teach his young sons. However, I had some kind of mental block about them. By age six, we had gone into our garage at least a dozen times to practice shooting at targets attached to old phone books. In the back of our property, with the garage door closed, firing a small caliber pistol sounded too similar to the pop of firecrackers for any one of the neighbors to pay attention to the sound. Kids lit off firecrackers all the time in our neighborhood. It was no big deal. Still, the practice with the real gun made me very nervous. I only ever wanted it to end as soon as possible. This affected my ability to shoot straight. I'm sure for my father, even those dozen times were not enough gun practice for him. So the shooting gallery at the Old Town Mall was a reasonable, yet panty-waist alternative. Another one of his favorite terms. The shooting gallery rifle felt much lighter than I expected, but it was long and unwieldy. It was connected to the counter via a short black cord. I tried to put the stock on my shoulder, just like my dad. But being six years old meant my arms were too short. I had to choke up on the rifle, holding the barrel with one hand and the trigger with the other. I leaned my head over, squinted, and tried to see through the crosshairs. I could not see a thing. My dad and brother were waiting, so I pulled the trigger, hoping my random shot would hit one of the many targets scattered around the gallery. A sound boomed from out of the counter that the cord was attached to, but none of the targets in the general direction in which I fired made any kind of movement. Come on, Steve! He said in his angered but annoyed but disappointed voice. The same voice I can still hear in my head right now as I write this. The same voice I heard my entire life as I did something that did not make him happy. I fired six more shots, all with the same result. Then I handed the gun to my brother so he could finish the game. Even though we were twins and nearly the same size, his stature was much better than mine. He held the rifle as if he had been holding rifles his entire life. My brother emptied the gun, hitting at least three of the targets he aimed at. You could be a marksman, my dad told him, as my brother put the gun down and smiled. We started to walk towards the movie theater. What's a marksman, my brother asked. It's the first rank you attain when you learn to shoot in the army. The next rank up is sharpshooter, the next expert sharpshooter, my dad replied. Did you get a rank when you were in World War II, I asked. I was a sharpshooter. He left the shooting gallery and walked towards the movie theater. It was almost showtime.
Part 2, Westworld. Released in 1973, Westworld was a movie about humanity struggling with the technology it created but couldn't fully comprehend or control. It starred James Brolin and Richard Benjamin as vacationers at a futuristic amusement park named Delos. The park was filled with androids that acted like the characters from a chosen time period. In the movie, the pair chose the Old West, but other time periods like Ancient Rome and Middle Ages were also available. As soon as the pair arrived at the park and made their decision, they were thrust into what amounted to an alternate universe, a real-life virtual reality of sorts. The visitors were immersed in the world of gambling, fighting, and even sexual encounters. It was all good, clean fun until something went horribly wrong. When the movie started, I sat and watched it, hoping for an epic adventure. I wanted to see something big and something amazing. Every year, the movie Wizard of Oz was shown on TV, and even though it was a musical made in the 30s, there's something amazing about it. It was a grand adventure. The characters traveled places and overcame obstacles. There were sweeping vistas and magical places. When I went to the movies, I wanted every film to be like The Wizard of Oz and to make me feel like I felt when I watched it. With a name like Westworld, I hoped for the best. But what I saw was not unlike the other sci-fi movies and TV shows I had seen in my six years on the planet. Big ideas shoved into cramped spaces. The universe of Westworld was interesting, but the story told the universe seemed small to me. It all boiled down to two good guys running from one bad guy. In the vast world of Delos, this seemed like a small, claustrophobic story. Still, the action was good, and the underlying idea of a amusement park filled with robots was really cool. And the coolest thing about Westworld was the android played by Yul Brenner. Along with the other androids, he became sentient and tried to kill the humans in the park. Brenner had an icy stare and a palpable sense of committed digital dread about him. He was like a combination of the Terminator and Darth Vader, but those characters would not be invented for years to come. Walking out of the movie theater with my dad always made for a difficult few minutes. While I liked Westworld for what it was, I really wanted to know how he felt about it. It was very important to me to have his validation on my feelings for movies. I could tell by looking at his face, he was not totally impressed by it. What did you think, Daddy? He was silent for a few seconds. We were walking back through the mall towards the shooting gallery. We passed the comic book store and I stared at the covers of the publications in the window. It was pretty good, he said suddenly. The guns didn't recoil exactly right, and the old west town buildings looked phony, but it was pretty good. I was relieved. It was okay for me to like the movie. We walked past the silk screen t-shirt shop, the carousel, the flying bee ride. I took a good long look as we passed the cookie shop, a place I always wanted to visit, but my dad, a self-prescribed health food nut, would never take us to. We passed the dark ride, the stamp collecting store, the nine-hole miniature golf course, and came up towards the juice shop. My dad stopped there and got in line. Juice was good for us, and my dad approved of his consumption. When we got to the front of the line, I, as always, ordered the strawberry juice. My brother ordered the same. My dad got carrot and cucumber. We found a small table and sat down to finish our drinks. Daddy, I asked, can we go through the arcade on the way out? The arcade was at the far end of the mall near the food court the opposite side from the movie theater. We hardly ever made it down to that end of the mall, usually stopping at the shooting gallery or at Paul Freiler's historical model shop before we got there. In my six years, I'd only ever walked by arcades. 
I had seen the pinball machines lined up against the walls and the newer-looking video games standing up in the middle with teenagers behind them using the controls. I had heard all the amazing sounds emanating from within, but I would never actually seen any of the games working. However, the movie Westworld had inspired me. Even though it featured what I imagined to be living video game characters striking back against their human players, I was suddenly fascinated by the idea of electronic games and how they were played. I'd only seen them from afar, and I'd never played one. My dad did not answer my question, but as we emptied our cups and got up to leave, he started towards the arcade. When we reached the large open storefront crammed with video game cabinets and teenagers, my dad turned on his heels and entered the establishment. Part 3. Wild Gunman. The minute we entered, it was like visiting an alternate universe. The air was filled with a cacophony of bells and slaps from pinball and other electromechanical machines and grumbling digital tones from the video games. Like the androids in Westworld, who came to life once the visitors paid $1,000 a day for the privilege of visiting their world, these electronic games begged for the change in our pockets so they could come to life and let us enjoy the amusements they held inside. The lights were dimmed, but it was not dark inside. Every corner of the room was lit by flashing beacons. We inched through the room, looking at the array of games on display. An eight-player auto-racing game sat in the middle of the room next to a section of Pong and Pong-style games. There were many machines with steering wheels, and rifles attached. On the south wall, next to a bank of skee-ball machines, was one of the most interesting things I had ever seen. It was an enormous machine that was at least 8 feet high and 8 feet wide and 10 feet long. It had a counter in the front with a six-shooter and a holster attached and an 8-foot wide screen in the back. It was named Wild Gunman, and it was amazing. Nintendo released Wild Gunman in 1974. It was not exactly a video game, but instead it used a projector to display film clips of actual cowboys itching for a fight. The machine included a bank of five stars on the front. They would light up as a reward if you were successful when battling the armed bandits. The player would put on the gun belt and keep the six-shooter holstered until it was time to fight. When the game started, it would choose one of four film sequences, A, B, C, or D, with five scenes each. The player would watch a film scene start and then wait for the on-screen bandit's eyes to flash. At that point, it was the player's job to quick draw and fire before the bandit could fire back. The game would either show a scene of the cowboy firing back at you, saying you lost, or the cowboy falling to his death and saying you won. After the five scenes played out, you would know your score by how many stars were lit up on the front of the console. Wow, look at that, my dad said. He pulled some change from his pocket and headed towards the wild gunman machine. My brother and I followed. My dad put on the gun belt, inserted his quarters, holstered the gun, and waited for the action to start. The words came up on the screen. 
After the eyes flash on screen, shoot. Put your pistol in the holster and prepare to draw. In the first scene, a cowboy was skulking in the doorway of some old west buildings. He moved through two of them, then his eyes flashed. My dad did not draw quick enough, firing just a bit late. The cowboy shot first. The words, you lost, appeared on the screen. My dad looked flustered. The words, replace the pistol in your holster and prepare to draw, flashed on the screen. He holstered the gun and got ready for the next bandit. A cowboy walked onto the screen carrying a saddle. He put it down, and suddenly he noticed my father. His eyes flashed, and he drew his gun. Before he had a chance to shoot, my dad raised his six-shooter and fired. The cowboy slumped over. A star lit up on the console. At once, it clicked in with me what I was seeing. My dad was successful, and the machine responded. It was like the shooting gallery, where the cans flew over wires when they were hit, but so much better. Actions were not solitary and unrelated. They connected to one another so a story could be told. The machine reacted to my dad's actions like a robot might respond. It could see what he was doing, and the realistic characters responded in kind. My dad shot the third bandit and missed the fourth. This set up the final showdown. With two wins and two losses, the confrontation would settle the score. Replace the pistol in your holster and prepare to draw, flashed on the screen. The screen then changed. A door opened and the final bandit strode confidently toward my father. His arm was arched to the side, his fingers itching to pull the gun from the holster and take down the final bad guy. The on-screen bandit's eyes flashed, and he pulled his gun and fired. He was too quick. There was not enough time to react. My dad drew his pistol and fired, but he was not fast enough. He tried to fire again, but nothing happened. The trigger clicked, but the game did not respond. Click. 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 He motioned the gun towards the screen, as if he could push a bullet out and win the duel by sheer force but his gun was empty. Projection on the screen showed the result. You lost. My dad put the gun back in the holster, took off the gun belt, and walked away from the machine. My brother and I followed him. As we walked out the door of the darkened arcade into the sunlight, one word came out of his mouth. Phony. But I was not so sure. As we drove home, a feeling washed over me. It felt like I was living in a new age. An age that not only imagined robotic, electronic amusement parks in the movies, but one that was just on the cusp of creating them for real. An age where interactive amusements were just creeping out of their digital hiding places to find a place in the sun their eyes blinking, ready for a fight. And for a moment, it felt like I was looking at a window straight into Delos. My mind was racing back and forth, connecting the electronic worlds I had just visited in Westworld to the one behind the movie screen in Wild Gummin. It was a moment of discovery that I've never forgotten, a fleeting yet real moment of transcendence, where just for a few seconds, I felt like I understood my place in the world, my place in time, and where the future might take me. And then, as suddenly as the feeling appeared, it evaporated. 
and there I was sitting next to my dad in the cab of the big white pickup truck, my brother seated behind us as we traveled to our small suburban home back in the real world. Well, I I have very vivid memories of going to Old Town Mall many times, playing Wild Gunman, and seeing that movie. Right. Um, we never played what Dad's the only one. I mean, was Dad played play. Wild Gunman, but we would play like next to it. There was like <laughs> an outlaw style game that wasn't outlaw, you know. Right. But but we watched Dad play Wild Gunman, and we went and saw Westworld. We did, yeah, Westworld. I think I think that when we saw Westworld, it was not the original release. This was. This was when it was re-released because re-released in theaters. Because um, Future World was coming out. Yeah, because I think the TV there's a TV show version of Future World, so they they re-released it. But that happened all the time back then. That you would you know you, you didn't see movies any other way unless they re-released them. Yeah, this was right before on TV became on and select TV came out and started. And I think what's things. interesting about about Westworld and obviously there's the new version on HBO now. I actually wrote this story long before the new um, that came out. This is like. I started this almost a decade ago to remember this. And when my dad was still alive at the time, tried to, tried to pull out this memory of that time we went, played it. Because I remember he wouldn't let us... I was kind of frustrated because he wouldn't let us play, but um, he wanted to play on his own. Um, but it was a really interesting game. It was almost like Dragon... The, it was like Dragon's Lair. It was. Almost. It was like... I mean, it was. It's a really cool game. And I never saw it again except for at the Old Town Mall. But it always stuck in my mind as like... The future of games is right there, even though it wasn't an actual video game. Well, it was I guess it was a video game. I guess I guess he video, used video there, for right? sure. Right. Um, but it, but it, but it, but I just thought that that it was the coolest thing. I thought that's where things would go, and then we took this detour again. You know, the detour went in the golden age to not that at all, to some not experiential. But we've actually kind of come, come back, back around there. Yeah, every, I mean, Dave and Buster's now is almost all experiential games. If you find video games. They're like four people playing Space Invaders at the same yeah, time. Or the giant, giant Galaga. Yeah, giant Galaga, giant, giant Pac-Man. Um, um, and then you have like the, the chicken, you just kept on pressing the button going forward. Jeff, this, you're, are you ta- you're talking about Crossy Road. Yes, what I'm saying is it's like the game Chicken. Jeff, like the there's game. no game called Chicken, it's called Freeway. Oh, there's a game called Chicken on the Atari 100 where <laughs> eggs are dropped on. I'm sorry. It's free like Freeway. I mean, there's a chicken in Freeway. Well, there's a chicken in Freeway. I mean, yes. yes. Crossing Road is Freeway. Crossing Road is basically Freeway. And imagine, I know this is kind of off, to- off topic, but imagine if like Activision had figured out that how, how compelling it was to just keep going across the road. So it scrolled. Like they could have made... It would have been a super more compelling game if you had just scrolled forever. Like and you could kind of turn game. like Crossing Road, but you would scroll like almost like... um. Almost like River Raid, but just one button in Crossy Road. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I mean that the, it's very special to me. This the, these arcade games from from that that time. Days. Yeah. I mean, this is when we had no access. Again, I mean, like everybody, and like most other people too. But we never really accessed any video games. Not at home. We played a few, but just going to the arcade was just this this another magical experience. It lives in the vertical blank where, like you know, you never knew what you were going to see. There were no formulas. 
I, I mean, I guess I take it back. There were formulas, but at this time there weren't. So, like, Pong was a formula and driving games and gun games. But a lot of this stuff wasn't formulaic at all. It was it was totally different. Everyone was trying to make the next big thing. The next and big I thing. think right, to me, exactly. and that, at that, at those eras where everyone's trying to figure out what the next big thing is, that's where you get the most the interesting creativity stuff. Creativity actually happens. Like yeah, that's most, where, uh, When someone found out what a hit was, it would just sort of be replicated. But the Pac-Man and Donkey Kong are different, right? So even in the, that era, they didn't make the same game. But later on, all fighting, all games. fighting games, all nothing wrong with fighting all games, side-scrolling shooters, all those, and a horizontal. I love all those games, all outruns and and outruns and, and yeah, it's hanging ons and you know they're fine games, but it's all the same, right? Like they they were they realized what genres worked and they could they, what would what would eat quarters and what people would pay for, which is fine for the business side, but from the like from the thing that I like, like game design and. New experiences and new cool stuff. It got kind of boring and sad. Got a little boring. And sad. But this era was, you know. So I still remember this. Is when I think of the arcade, I still think of all this stuff. This is the arcade. It lives in the vertical blank, just like this. Select podcast remix mode. Start. Hey Jeff, um, it's October. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we had talked about doing the Halloween episode, but I think the problem with us having a Halloween episode is that we can never plan what our episodes are about. In the 70s, before um, Space Invaders, before Asteroids, before in the in what I guess would be the Bronze Age of Atari, um, the Bronze Age, Bronze Age, Bronze Age, Bronze Age, the 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 Bronze the Bronze. I said that already. I said that already. If you didn't hear me say that, I I, I said 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 that 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 already. I said that already. If you didn't hear me say that. So anyway, okay, yeah, <laughs> yes, the switch for the switch gets what with all three, with all three. Sorry, 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 sorry. Atari baseball, Atari basketball. Atari football and Atari soccer. Like this baseball, basketball, football, and a soccer. Like baseball, basketball, football, and a soccer. Like baseball, basketball, football, and a soccer. Like this. I'm going to start with those because those are all arcade games. I think they started with football. I may be wrong. But they all use the trackball. That's the X's and O's They're football. The X's and O's football. Awesome, 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 awesome game. How do you replicate that? Awesome, awesome, awesome game. How do you replicate Awesome, awesome game. How do you awesome, awesome game? How do you awesome, awesome game? How do you replicate that? Awesome, awesome, awesome game. How do you replicate that? X's and and if you look at baseball and basketball, basketball is sort of a two-person basketball. Looks like the twenty-six hundred basketball. These are all really cool games. I don't know how they're going to replicate on this system, but they were really fun for the time, especially X's and O's football. I, th- I don't know if it's ever called. I, I think we called it X's we and O's football. football. And X's and O's football. I thought it might be fun to do our top 10 Bronze Age pre-Asteroids, pre-Space Invaders arcade games. So this is like yes. post-Pong, pre-Space Invaders, in that era when we would go to the arcade, but it was before it really sort of caught our 
tension, but we went all the time. Video Pinball. Yeah, it's Stunt Cycle by Atari. Speed Freak. It's called Sky Raider. Oh, crap, crap, crap. Fire Truck. X's and O's football. Hercules. Space Breakout. But it's a good lore to say that Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs worked for Atari. That's cool, you know? And so, sometimes I think, like, the, the arcade that existed between 1978 and, like, 1983 or 84 was actually the anomaly. Right. The arcade as it exists now, as it back then, is really the way the arcade With is. big machines to draw a crowd. Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending.